You're listening to the Sound Girls podcast with just Katie today. And today's episode features an interview with Joanna Fang. Joanna Fang is an Emmy award-winning Foley artist and sound editor. An alumna of NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, Joanna fell in love with sound design and Foley during her studies at Tisch, and after graduating with honors in 2014, she started apprenticing and performing with Foley artist Leslie Bloom at Alchemy Post Sound in Peekskill, New York. Seven years and hundreds of credits later, Joanna transitioned into game development and has since been hired by Sony PlayStation, where she co-leads their new Foley department and is their first in-house Foley artist in over 15 years. Through her Foley sounds, she has had the privilege of slinging webs as Spider-Man, fighting misogynists in Promising Young Woman, and even crashing a bust for Ira Glass on This American Life. Her Foley art spans across several media from traditional narrative films, documentaries, and television series to AAA games, virtual reality, and experimental pieces. In 2016, she was recognized by the Television Academy as the first openly transgender woman of color to win a primetime Emmy for her Foley and Sound editorial work on A&E's Cartel Land. Thank you so much for being here today. And, Thank you so um, much. You know, I talked to the other day that I think you've been on a panel with, um, Ronnie Brown. Oh, yeah, I love Ronnie. She's a very passionate and um, very take-no-prisoners Foley artist. I really like her work and I like her attitude for sure. Um, but yeah, how's how's Ronnie doing? Oh, sh- yeah, no, she was she was good. She Yeah, her passion is like undeniable. Like, it's so exciting. Like, I'm, I'm like, I want to be a Foley artist now. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's hard to not get like stoked on Foley. Um, yeah, no, she's doing well. Uh, yeah, no. So she's a take no prisoners Foley artist. What, what kind of Foley artist are you? I, I am similarly, I think for sure. I think my passion for Foley is also split with advocacy for um, having more women and people of color in the Foley industry. So on one hand, I'm constantly thinking about the future of Foley, right? So obviously working for Sony PlayStation, I get a taste of like the next generation of what media is going to look like, especially like triple a interactive media and kind of looking at that from this interesting and unique vantage point and asking myself you know questions necessarily about foley as a craft that aren't so predicated on the film and television industry and more so around the idea of what is foley and its personnel going to look like in 50 to 100 years so uh it's an interesting outlook because i'm constantly thinking about how sound culture changes and how game audio is fascinating because it's almost like its own island right like game audio is its own medium that has origins in film and television, obviously, and the people who work in game audio are heavily influenced by film and television. But at this point, because of the technology and the demands and the specificities of creating sound for code, essentially, um, it's created its own aesthetic, its own ideology, and its own expectations for what Foley should sound like. And so coming into Sony as a senior Foley artist and as the first Foley artist they've hired uh, directly on site in over 15 years gives me a level of foresight about not necessarily the future of gaming, but also the future of how are we going to train Foley artists? How are we going to recruit them? Um, what are the type of 
jobs and the type of media that they're going to be following and what do those folio artists even look like you know i i think we're in this really interesting time now where media overall is becoming so homogenized the lines between film and tv are so blurred but i think people also forget that people are constantly fighting for attention uh you know we're always trying to be entertained or be entertaining and uh, all these new forms of media, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, Snapchat, what have you, when you combine that with interactive rich experiences like gaming and like virtual reality, we end up with a very changed sound aesthetic as to what we expect to hear. So coming here and working with a sound department that is fully integrated with the production of AAA games lets me see, you know, well, back in the day it would take x amount of days to do a film well how many days does it take to do a triple a title with 22 hours of cinematics how does that change our perception of performance art and how does that change our perception of what is or isn't foley so that's kind of where my passion lies right now is combining everything i learned from new york and the new york foley scene and shooting foley for film and tv and working for a bespoke foley company to this very specific world where someone's showing me a wide wealth of variety of things that you can do as a player and then asking me to create the world of possibilities and still have it be full of intent and specificity and empathetic immersion so that's that's really where i've gone down the <laughs> the deep side of the pool for uh if you don't uh mind the expression uh, that's not even an expression that's that's i've gone off into the deep end when it comes to this massive pool of possibility yeah okay so the, what you said was so interesting because you've experienced both as a foley artist um and how this approach is different um you kind of explain how with video games you're playing a character but the character has so many possibilities of choices based on how you play right and so versus a movie where it's like he's drunk in this one scene so you know you're gonna kind of do the action you know or however yeah. right the approach so can you just tell me more about that just like because that's so interesting how that approach would change in that case. Absolutely. So I'd first like to state that all opinions are my own. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I'll try not to get into specifics uh, because I've, obviously I'm working on a lot of stuff that has been totally, released yet. Yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, it's very interesting because even though we're working in this form of a virtual reality, right, we still have elements of conveyance that we have to give to the player character. So for instance, you know, my favorite example, and this isn't a, this is not a game I worked on, but is a very clean and easy example is look at a game like Resident Evil, where your character's footsteps get altered depending on like how much damage you've taken, how ill are you? Um, are you empowered? Are you disempowered? Are you in the power dynamic between you and the other characters? How should your feet sound? So on a very forensic level, one could think of footsteps as see a footstep, you perform a footstep, right? On a cinematic level, folks like Ronnie and Shelley Roden, John Rush, all these great Foley folks, and Alison D. Moore, all of them aren't just thinking about, I see a footstep, I perform a footstep. They see a footstep, they see a sequence of footsteps, and they perform this like longer a uh, sentence of footsteps that describe the character's feelings, right? Whereas in video game land, it's almost like each of those words 
have to have like the same intent and meaning, but they can be swapped out. And we still have the objective of telling a sentence, right? If, so that's kind of the way I look at it is that you're folding all these different notes in this musical passage of notes, and they still have to play a melody. But each single note has its own articulation or possibility. So you still want the player to feel like they're receiving a story or that they are part of the story and they're part of a performance of the character on screen. But we have to do so in a way that isn't repetitive. We have to do so in a way that is uh, actually feasible inside uh, code. And I have to perform in the sense of asking myself, you know, I can't make anything stand out too incredibly, right? But I have to get to the, the what is the heart of this sequence of footsteps? What is at the heart of this animation? Is it when the character pivots left or pivots right? Is it the weight? What is this image telling us about the character state? And how many different variations can I perform within this? That way no one feels like it's too repetitive. So it's a new balancing act. Um, and it's an interesting part of the gig very specifically. And while I can't personally go into a very specific anecdotes about these titles, I will say that like overall Foley has always been about repetition, right? Like I think most younger Foley artists and even, even older ones, you know, usually get your best sound on take two or three if you're an experienced Foley artist. But um, younger Foley artists and people who are in training, sometimes it takes them five or six takes to get the right sound. For me, I'm trying to get the right takes of the right possibilities. So I'll still be messing up. I'll still be like flubbing takes. But once I get that perfect one, then I have to ask myself and challenge myself. How do I create five equally as good sounding, but potentially variable sounds? And so that's where it gets interesting. Um, it's not just a matter of the physicality of repeating it, but it's also a matter of challenging myself and saying, there isn't just one perfect way to do this sound. There's a multitude of ways to do that sound. And I have to create those possibilities in a very coherent way. I was going to ask you, like, I, I always start kind of like at the the childhood thing, or like, how did you develop your interest in audio, game audio, uh, Foley, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if you want to go there now, uh, but I did have a quick question just so when you're on that train of thought about um the future of foley do you feel like with film foley that there's a level of people overlooking its value and therefore maybe there's not enough time there's not enough budget allotted to that specific and just how do you deal with that thought when you see it's so important yeah a hundred percent you know i think it's a weird chicken and egg situation that we have right now where you know especially working in the independent film world where budgets have always been shrinking. And this is also true of the big budget world too. This is this is across the board. The cost it takes to make a movie, it's a lot cheaper now to make a movie than ever before, right? We've pretty much democratized the tools. And what that's created is an entire, um, entire generation of incredible creatives who are trying everything and rewriting the rule book when it comes to how movies are made, right? And on one hand, that's been amazing because we see this huge outgrowth of diversity and interesting stories and new voices who we've never seen films from before. But by same token, we're also experiencing this deluge of films where a lot of people who've never made a movie before are now stuck 
trying to understand things like film budgeting, producing, and what have you. And so you get the entire range of economic circumstance that goes into post-production. So if you were, you know, if you were like a Hollywood executive from the 90s, you had a pretty decent idea of what it took to budget and schedule a movie to be completed within the allotted time frame. But at the same time, with how technology has evolved and how the workforce has evolved, maybe if you were an executive, you might be realizing, hey, the sound process overall is much faster than it's ever been before. Maybe we don't need X amount of days on the mix stage. However, if you're a mixer, you're like, no, 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 please. The tools make it easier for me to do my job so you get better results. Don't cut my days, you know. So that's from the production side of things, but and from uh, like established, you know, producer types. But on the other hand, you have a lot of young producers, a lot of inexperienced producers who are, and this is really no hit on them, but they spend tons of money making the movie and actually filming it on site. And they forget that the filmmaking process goes way past that, well past that. It goes all the way to distribution. Um, and so a lot of them aren't sure you know, how much money they're about to spend or how much money they should be spending or how much time. And you also have this very basic psychological principle where, especially with sound, where a lot of people, they don't quite know adequately how to equate that extra time and budget into a better storytelling experience, right? To a better story experience. And so between these two extreme examples, you have everyone in the middle and uh, you also have producers who maybe in 2021, they've put a bunch of movies under their belt. They feel confident. They know what it takes to make a movie. However, you know, if you've spent the last decade learning how to shoot the micro budget feature, how would you know how to budget for, you know, a a big tentpole movie. Maybe it's not one's job to know how to do it, but it certainly is setting expectations for work that make it so that now you have independent films where they expect you to finish an M&E's worth of Foley in under three days, oh, no. which is insane. Really? Yeah. yeah, and is very much not feasible um, and requires a lot of compromise. And the problem with that is then that feeds into the ecosystem of Foley, chicken and egg, right? So now people are saying, well, I heard so-and-so can get it done in three days, or I saw that movie had only X budget and made back $10 million. And I keep telling people, not all movies are the Blair Witch Project, folks. You know, <laughs> the labor it takes yeah. to make a film and the amount of pressure and force and economic stress that goes into making those movies has created a very intense situation where people are making mistakes there's more demand now than ever for content. And the result is that the means with which we can keep ourselves safe, both mentally and physically, have deteriorated. And to be very honest, that's actually a huge reason why I have become enamored with trying to look towards a more optimistic future where, you know, if filmmaking is changing in a way that cannot economically support fully the way it's been done for the last 50 years, if not the last 10 years alone, then maybe the question is, how has the culture of what people want to hear has changed? Like, what are they expecting from their movies? And, but what are the ways with which we can match what the audience is expecting and make sure the producers and the people in charge of budgeting can really understand how much work goes into what we do. Oh my God. If this episode doesn't make people just like give a huge amount of appreciation to what Foley artists do, like it's amazing. I was wondering, sorry, can't we like roll back in time a little bit? Cause I am wondering, um, how I guess you got into your career in the first place and just how the interest developed. So yeah, if you could just tell me about your roots um, 
and and you're developing your interests in audio and your career trajectory. Yeah, for sure. So um, basically, when I was really young, I remember watching the Lord of the Rings behind the scene DVD for like how they did the Battle of Helm's Deep. And um, it was an amazing featurette, I think, on one of the like extended edition interactive DVD menus where you could jog through and solo what's Foley, what sound effects, what's backgrounds, what's music, what's dialogue. Um, in those uh, behind the scenes documentaries in that era, there was often like featurettes on sound design. And so there's a whole generation of filmmakers and sound tinkerers who uh, watched those documentaries. And it wasn't just a thing on HBO. It, it, you know, filmmaking stopped being about, you know, family members that were already into it. We were exposing a whole new audience and a whole bunch of young people like myself, uh, different craft within this beautiful DVD special menu. And it took a fantastic film to make you want to go get that and watch it. I remember uh, we were watching that that behind the scenes and my mom was like, oh, anyone can do this job. And I looked at her and I was just like, mom, this is, that's wrong. That's an incredibly tough job. If you think of the movie as if it were sheet music and each sound effect as if it were a note or a melody, then sight reading that, learning it, and then performing a sound and then performing all the sounds and then performing all the orchestration of human sounds, that's really tough. And so um, that was my first exposure really, that there was this craft where People were in recording studios, smacking things around and getting uh, getting sounds to sync with image. And so I always grew up as a musician. I was classically trained as a vocalist. I spent years and years with the presumption that I was going to be like the next Jeff Buckley. Like I trained and learned how to play guitar and learned how to record myself on like a Tascam 8-track. And when it came time for me to go to university, um, I had already developed a love for filmmaking because, you know, I'd watched School of Rock in like 2005 and it blew my mind. It made me want to play electric guitar. It made me want to be a filmmaker. Um, and so from a very young age, I was very influenced in the arts and I already made a very distinct decision. Like, I want to be an artist. And so when I uh, got to this inflection point of like choosing between do I stay in the East Coast or West Coast? Where do I go to school to learn all this art that I wanted to get into? It was a no-brainer to go to NYU because it had one of the best film schools in the nation and a pretty fantastic music program and a very fantastic music technology program. So uh, came out to New York, wanted to be next Jeff Buckley while balancing my studies. And after a year and a half in the conservatory at Steinhardt studying music technology uh, and learning everything that goes into like soldering preamps and using Max MSP to to do digital signal processing, learning how to use Python, all this stuff that goes to like next generation sound and game audio. I got so sick of, <laughs> I got so sick of like the, the classical training. At that point I had been a musician for, I, I'd been studying music my entire life. And so when I had the opportunity to transfer into film and learn about filmmaking, uh, I took it as a challenge and I decided to pivot my career a little bit and get into film. The irony is uh, as soon as I went to NYU film school, Sound a sound designer by the name of David Miller found out that I had really good sight reading skills and I came highly recommended as a performer. So he had me come in and shoot some Foley with him on 35 millimeter MOS short films that the school's advanced filmmaking program in Prague had produced over the summer. And uh, within maybe the first three or four cues, 
I remember David was engineering me and I was performing like the sounds of a nun taking off her hood, opening a drawer, the sounds of awkward eating, the sounds of babies being picked up out of aforementioned drawer. Um, uh, he said to me, you're really good at this. Have you ever considered studying this and doing this exclusively? And I told, I told him, uh, not really. I just, I want to be a cinematographer or a film score composer. He's like, you've never considered being a foliarist. I'm like, no, because my rhythm skills aren't that good relative to what? I don't know, drummers, but like, <laughs> but David, David was my first big inspiration. He encouraged me to try it out because, because he saw that I had some sort of talent in it. And obviously I've listened back to that short film in the, in the preceding years and it's not that good, but <laughs> compared to what they were used to receiving, um, it was, it was certainly different. Um, <laughs> and so it started this wild journey where I, uh, I, and I loved Foley. I love Foley. I I loved it then. I love it now. But it was in that moment when I started doing it every single week, like 12 hours a week, while still trying to balance school and being on set, um, I discovered that this was my favorite art form and that it represented everything I loved about the 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 energy and performance of, of music while at the same time capturing that kinetic... Uh, velocity storytelling that you get with film. And so I'd always wanted to be a boom operator or a camera operator. I'd always wanted to be a singer songwriter or a guitarist or vocalist. And so to find this art form that was all of that, where sometimes you're literally creating the footsteps of a camera operator, where sometimes you're literally uh, creating sounds that sing, that tell the story of the character who's performing um, what you see on screen. It spoke to me on a profound and fundamental level. And so from that day forth, I was like, this is this is it. I finally found it. This is the art that I want to dedicate my life to. And so after NYU, I got an apprenticeship with Leslie Bloom at Alchemy Post Sound. At the time, they were just opening a, a brand new studio in Westchester County, New York. And I was very privileged and very lucky to have made a solid impression with Les and to be supported by a studio that cared a lot about women in film sound. And so Les took me under his wing. I started shooting Foley right out, right out of college after about like six months. I kept on pescuring Les for an internship. I very, uh, quote unquote, um, serendipitously kept running into him at, at AES's and at uh, studio opening parties and finally, after their last intern had had matriculated out, he asked, okay, let's see Joanna's resume. And by then I had done so many student films and done two made-for-TV movies. So he took me under his wing. I worked there for seven years. In 2016, I won an Emmy with that crew. Oh, congrats. Um, so awesome. Yeah. Thank you. It's still like the biggest thing that's ever <laughs> happened to me. Um, uh, and uh, it was a very enjoyable and sometimes very painful experience. It was painful in the sense that I was growing up as a person too. Obviously, I was going through a lot of personal stuff uh, while simultaneously trying to up my game and grow and truly learn what it meant to be a Foley artist. And the tr there was no better place to do it than alchemy. So it was, it was, it's very meaningful. I still very much feel like those people are, those people are like family to me, you know? And, uh, while I was there, you know, we had, we had a team that was 50, 50 men and women, you know what I mean? And so, uh, it was very powerful to see how small businesses will try their best to live up to the values that they espouse. 
and to actually put into action uh, what's so easy to just call out in words. And so um, that was very important to me. And that's why I was able to transition on the job and to create sound effects in a very intimate and intolerant way. And so after seven years at Alchemy, I, uh, I realized I wanted to move back to California and I wanted to spend more time with my mom and spend more time with my family. All my family's in California. And, you know, after 12 years in New York, I, um, decided it was time for me to move home and it was time for me to take care of my family out here. And COVID didn't, COVID certainly put a, put a sharp end to that, you know, it was a very a painful, but joyous farewell. I left New York and moved to San Diego, California. I got, I got a job working uh, with Sony PlayStation to help them develop their Foley stage and make Foley uh, part of the in-house services to provide sound effects at a very fast and integrated way. And it was a dream job. It was an opportunity, like I said, to, to see what's out there that isn't just film. And so came into this Foley stage, dropped off every shoe and every, every weird piece of doodad that I had and restarted my Foley career, but this time in the game audio world. And so that's why I'm here now. It's, it's so, it's so good. Uh, I was researching you and, um, I read something or watched something about how, um, after your transition, you became better at your job. And I, I, I wonder if you can get into that. Cause I think that's like, um, really spectacular and really important. Yeah. Um, well, all throughout college, I identified as gender non-binary, which is basically a coded way of saying I'm actually trans, but I just don't have the, I mean, in 2009, 2013, the political wherewithal among, even among friends and family was very short tempered when it came to like trans people in their lives. So, um, when I started working at Alchemy, I got to the point where I was trying so hard to be at my best a game. And it's impossible to do that. If you are uncomfortable in your own skin, like I fought, I, I mean, I think one of the big reasons why I got into film and music to begin with was because there is a weird moment when you're singing or when you're behind the eyepiece of a camera where you transcend your physical body and you're just there. You are the music, you are the shot, you are the angle, you are the performance. And Foley for me, because it represented that so well, became a very sacred place for me where I can let go of all the ways in which I am at the time and I, I was as a person then and literally put on someone else's shoes and literally try to put myself in their mind. So in a lot of ways, Foley as an art form was incredibly comforting to my gender dysphoria. However, when I started working at Alchemy and every single day I had to bring my A game, it got to the point where I literally would get into panic attacks and anxiety attacks in the bathroom before sessions because I, it wasn't just a matter of stage fright or nerves, but it became a matter of being so uncomfortable in my own body and comfortable in the way people perceived me, uncomfortable in the way I was moving through life and kind of forced in a lot of ways to go down these predetermined paths. And so after I tried, I, you know, and that was one of the things I remember when I was younger, I was like, I'm not going to transition until I know that I can economically defend and provide for myself so no one could leverage that over me. And um, it was a painful wait because it got to the point where I couldn't hold on anymore. And I was so lucky that Alchemy was a welcoming place. And that doesn't mean that they were perfect in any way, shape and form, but enough so that 
I remember <laughs> I remember coming out to my boss in the car ride to like birthday Thai food, like lunch like date with the whole crew and it was like the weirdest thing because i didn't even make eye contact with les i was like sitting behind him in the, like, the passenger seat of a car um but i came out to my whole crew it just got to the point where i couldn't do my job anymore like i was so uncomfortable that this thing that once provided so much comfort became a prison of my own body where i couldn't i, I couldn't live with myself so it's like as an artist, you know, I think there's a glorification of taking your anguish and affliction and romanticizing it by putting it into your art. And that is not sustainable. You know, it is cathartic, sure. And maybe that's the reason why we do get into art is because it's cathartic. And that's an escape even in the process of doing so. But there do, does come a point where those processes don't do what they used to anymore. And you are left to confront the raw reality that something is bothering you. So sorry, yeah. I, I have goosebumps. That's um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's beautiful. Because I mean, how, how do you feel now? Because now you're you got this pretty new gig, and 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 you're, you're living your your truth. And my, <laughs> yeah, it's it's different for sure. It's interesting because um, you know. I've had so many times to reboot my life in interesting ways. Like when I moved out of New York City and moved to Peekskill, to Westchester County proper, I, you know, I started making friends who had never known me before I transitioned um, and only knew me as like, oh, she's the cool sound artist who works for Les Bloom. You know what I mean? Like right. versus here where it's like, oh, she's Joanna from New York and she has this interesting background in film, but is, you know, now our in-house Foley artists. So it's like how people relate to me have changed. But I feel like I have, if anything, become more honest with myself. And so I think when people say living one's truth, I think the first person that you, that you learn to not lie to anymore is yourself. Right. And so um, it's tough. It's really tough because w things are so spread out right now. And there's so much social distancing across the board that, um, getting used to coming into a place like San Diego, you know, going from New York where there's a very significant transgender population to a place like San Diego where things are a little more conservative. There's a few, there's less young folks and less trans people here. Um, learning that I have a wealth of my own um, confidence and my own reliance that I can uh, trust upon has been its own journey. And learning to take bigger risks and be more confident in how I move through life is part of that journey. So um, it's been very unique and very different. And I don't know if I can necessarily say that like it's easier to be gender nonconforming or trans in New York. Uh, I think that's a given. However, I will say that like the person who's coming to San Diego and coming back to California is more fully formed than the person who left California in 2009. So it does feel like a homecoming of sorts for sure. But when it comes to my gender identity and my background and my experiences, it's, it's weird to look at the same buildings and have a totally different perspective on them. Yeah. Wow. Life. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> so what um, advice do you have for those up and coming as a craftsperson doing Foley and getting into this gig? Um, it's a few things. I say the first thing is, you know, 
not everyone has a different path to get to Foley. There is no one prescribed way to become a Foley artist. However, I will say something to be very wary about and something to be very encouraging about is finding mentorship, right? So, and not just in the form of emails, I do mean in the sense of like actually apprenticing for another artist. Because you could learn, you could you could be taught more rapidly how things are done than it is for you to, I don't know, get a loan for half a million dollars and build your own Foley stage and try to cultivate your own uh, clients and try to learn how to do Foley all by yourself. It's like, there's such a wealth of information and there's so many people who want to share it, but there just aren't enough avenues and there aren't enough hours on the stage to fully immerse somebody into it. So for people who are interested in Foley, I tell them a few things. One, uh, practice, 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 practice. Like getting 10,000 hours in of just simply moving in sync with other people is very important. Two, uh, be empathetic. Read. Just be fully immersed in other people's cultures and viewpoints because that's going to be how at the 11th hour you're able to interpret someone's body language and the story and the experience and then come up with something that we haven't heard before. And the last thing I tell people is be ready to grow. If there's something that's working one day, but it doesn't work the next, it's okay to let go and try to find something new and refreshing to continue creating sounds. So I feel like with those three fundamentals down um, and with the right type of mentorship early, um, it's very feasible to, to make this a career and that not every young Foley artist out there needs to be a person from wealth who had the venture capital to go build their own Foley stage because the industry certainly isn't recruiting apprentices right now. The industry isn't recruiting young people. The industry isn't giving young people even a chance to learn Foley the way Foley was taught in the eighties and seventies. Right. So, right. So instead we have to make our own opportunity and, in order to make your own opportunity, you know, some people say, do it at home, practice, like be an entrepreneur. And I tell them, whatever floats your boat, but do acknowledge that there is a wealth of information and there are plenty of people willing to give it. You just have to go find them and you just have to talk to them. Uh, so along those lines, um, how do folks reach or follow you if you're cool with? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So you could find me on uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> Just kidding. No, you can find me. Is that how you found me? It's funny. It's funny because my LinkedIn is like the voice I post the least, but I get I get the most uh, like feedback. Oh, uh, no. Um, I'd say uh, in order to find me, I'm easily findable on Instagram. You could find me as I think my current fully handle is fully thank to see online. It's a stupid pun. Um, but you just search for Joanna Fang. I'm the only Joanna Fang who has, in parentheses, my Chinese name behind <laughs> my normal name. Uh, very unprofessional of me. Um, and you can also find me on uh, LinkedIn. I try to keep things pretty pretty chill. If you're in game audio and you want to hear my hot takes about uh, culture, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, in which Ooh. case, twitter.com and look for acute underscore fangles. It's another stupid pun. I like punning my last name. Um, so those are some ways to reach me. And the other ways to reach me are, uh, I mean, mostly through that. I'm very much active on social media. So um, if you go on my Instagram, there's an entire series. I do a year-by-year -year series of interesting foleys I've done throughout the years. You might see a lot of my shit posting and a lot of my like more meme-y, like millennials, like, like stuff. But um, I, try, I try to let people know that we're human <laughs> beings. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So um, find me on Instagram, find me on Twitter. Awesome. Yeah, I had such a good time talking to you i think your like philosophy on foley and the future of sound is so fascinating um 
I, I wish our episodes weren't so short. <laughs> like just, I'm sorry that I just like info dumped. Like I was just like, I, I don't know. It's just like, I, I figured I just, just drop all the fun nuggets while we're at oh, it. But, um, and they were so fun, delicious nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm so happy we made it work. Um, your Foley studio is rad. I wish y'all could see this. <laughs> um, yeah and thank you thank you so much for taking the time of course and you have a great day thank you for listening to the sound girls podcast visit soundgirls.org for more information looking for more audio related podcasts to listen to we're part of the audio podcast alliance featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.